Hello and welcome to another episode of a Play Sheet podcast. Now, our usual listeners may be aware that we've been off the air for a few weeks now. So it's normally Chaz that does the intro and he normally says politely that it's great to be back with me. But I just want to take a moment to say that it's great to be back with my friend Charles doing the podcast. Charles has had some family illness to deal with. It's been a very tough time for Charles and so it's just a privilege to have him back on air. So Chaz, it's great to be here with you. It's great to be back and focusing on on something a little bit more positive. Although I'm sure some of the teams we discussed today will um, will fear that their season's not been as positive as they might have hoped it had been. Great. So look, been out for a while. What shall we jump back into, Charles? I mean, this is a perfect opportunity for me as someone who's been like still tuning into Red Zone while I've been in the hospital and whatnot, but probably hasn't been as close to NFL as we like to get in a season, Joe. So I've got a couple of questions that I'm eager to pick your brain at um, as someone that's been following this closely. I would like to start with two teams, actually, that we talked about early on in the season as, are we concerned? Are we not concerned? One of the teams that I had the most concern for was the Bengals. And one of the teams that you had the most concern for was the Bills. I think both have fallen well short of what they hoped they would achieve this season. So let's start with the Bengals, Joe. Where do you think it's all gone wrong for them? Because I've got my hunches and I think it harks back to something we talked about in season one or two of the podcast. So it'd be great to revisit that. But for you, where are they falling short? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so let's just kind of break down what you said a bit there. Now, you said where it's all gone wrong. Uh, hey, look, they've got a winning record still. We're five and four. I mean, they had a bad result at the weekend against the Houston Texans, ended up losing a close game there, 30-27. Before that, they had been on a four-game winning streak. So look, had that Houston Texan game gone the other way, they'd be 6-4 on a five-game winning streak right now. It didn't, but we're talking margins here. I think that this is a team that is, in a way, creating its own problems. We're seeing penalties in key moments. Joe Burrow started the season inconsistently, and I think that was a lot of a reason why they lost three of their first four games. He's firing, if not on all cylinders, most cylinders right now. So it's marginal things. Burrow, like I said, up to where he should be. There were two interceptions in the fourth quarter, though, that probably ultimately cost them the game. Injuries have played a part through the team. I don't think we've had many games where Chase, Higgins and Boyd have all been on the field at the same time. You're working around those, but I mean, hey, every team has injuries, so let's not put it all down to this. Play calling at times has been a little bit sus. It's just a lot of individual things, I think, that have been going wrong. Uh, and, And I think that for this team, it's hard to really put your finger on, hey, this is the one big problem they need to fix. I think as a team, they just need to pull things together a little bit more um, but look, I'm still not really worried about this Bengals team. They've got a slightly rough next three games. You've got the Ravens, Steelers, Jaguars. I think two of those games are losable. I think they should beat the Steelers. I think the Ravens are going to be trying to bounce back from the loss they had against the Browns last week. So we could see this Bengals team go 5-5. Equally, they could do a statement win against the Ravens. So look, they're a team that I find it hard, as you can probably see from this answer, to really put my finger on and say, hey... They're going to lose, they're going to win, they're this, they're that. I think at the core, they still have a lot of talent there. At the core, they're still a team that fundamentally should be winning more games than they lose. But yeah, it's those marginal things they need to get right. Okay, so obviously I'm basing a lot of my opinions on what I've seen in red zone during the time that I've been away. 
it may be, as we know, Red Zone doesn't always paint the perfect picture of what a game is like, but I'm looking at Burrow and I am still seeing him hold on for an eternity. He makes those long throws, no problem. Like that, that for me is where the Bengals succeed and excel. If he has the time to hold on to the ball, Chase is breaking out or Boyd is breaking out and, and Burrow is has a, a great long arm. He has phenomenal accuracy. And if he's allowed the time, he can make those big plays. That's where the Bengals excel. That's where they win. Where they don't have a lot of time on the ball, where they're being pressured, where they're being blitzed, I feel that's where the Bengals fall down massively. And what I have yet to see from Burrow, and again, it may just be a red zone bias, but those kind of short dink yardage plays, those quick releases, those slants, those shotgun plays, like I'm not seeing that from the Bengals and I'm not seeing that from Burrow. And for me, I think that makes them a little bit predictable. Teams just know that Burrow's going to hold on to it and he's always going to look for the big play. And I think that encourages teams to blitz more. I think it encourages teams to put pressure on Burrow more. And I think that's where, from what I have seen in my limited capacity, that looks like an area that they need to fix. But then I feel we've been talking about Burrow holding on to the ball for a long time now. I'm not really sure if that's a borrowing or if that's a play calling thing. Yeah. If you call a slant and make your first read the player running the slant, then throw the slant. And, and you know, most quarterbacks would would rather go for that short to medium throw because it's an easier throw. You're less chance of getting intercepted doing that. So you're, you're kind of throwing there almost as if it's a burrow problem, but I don't think it is a burrow problem. If they're not, you know, working their way down the field in these kind of measured drives look at the OC look at the play calling but you're talking about kind of getting open you're talking about those longer throws like I said Higgins has been out I think two three weeks now Jamar Chase was crocked for a lot of the season too this isn't a particularly healthy team and there's probably more to come I'll temper that by saying the rest of the season there are hard teams to come You've got what? They're five and four now. They've, they've, they've played nine, so they have eight games left. In that eight game stretch, they have to play the Ravens. They have to play the Jaguars. They have to play the Chiefs. They have to play the Browns. That's four games that are eminently losable. The other four aren't exactly slam dunks. You've got the six free Pittsburgh Steelers twice. I think they should beat the Steelers, but hey, they are a six free team. You've got the Vikings who are on a five game tear right now. And you've got the Colts who are having a resurgence as well. There's tough games there. There's tough games there. There's probably no gimmies in the rest of the eight games that the Bengals are playing. Yeah. And then uh, the Bills, Joe, they were a team that you had a little bit more concern over. Their record at the moment is is very average. We saw some inceptions from Allen at the weekend. Not necessarily his fault. We say that quite frequently. Where are the Bills tripping up? Because, again, they've lost a couple of battles that you would maybe expect them to win. Or certainly you'd think that the Bills would hope they'd win it. Yeah, so look, so this was a team that I felt there's probably more alarm bells ringing for me. And I remember saying that, you know, a, a preseason podcast sat in the Garden Villa in Portugal. It seems like a long time ago now. But when I was saying that, um, it's the limitations of Josh Allen. And in fairness, the game they lost last night, 
a lot of reason for the loss wasn't the limitations of Josh Allen. When you throw the ball to Cook and Cook spills it first drive, well, that's on Cook. That's not on Josh Allen. Next drive, when you put the ball into Gabriel Davis's hands and he doesn't catch it and fluffs it up and there's an interception, again, that's a Gabriel Davis problem, not a Josh Allen problem. But the tendencies that Josh Allen has, that whatever play you're going to call, he's going to try to put things on his shoulder. He's going to be, you know, that Superman-type player. And sometimes he's just incapable. Sometimes he's making bad decisions. I mean, that's that's a fundamental issue with his team. And that hasn't changed through this season. I think that the way that this Bills team is constructed, they're still a Josh Allen pass-first team. And if you look at the success they were having last night against the Broncos, it was when they were getting on the ground a little bit more, you know, stringing together more varied drives was paying better dividends for them. Do you think the fumble early on drove them to lean more on the passing game? Or do you think that is just the Bills' identity? No, because so basically the fumble early on, it didn't seem like it didn't seem like they wanted to move away from a run game too much. Now, they did for a couple of drives. Basically, Cook was in the doghouse a little bit. And they ran a couple of drives with Latavius Murray. And he was making decent gains. And, you know, the drive that they actually scored a touchdown on, like, I mean, that was... Oh, I feel it was about 50-50 pass and rush. So they were kind of forced to go back to the running game a little bit more when the passing game just wasn't working when basically after the fumble and the interception I think they went punt 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 so they were trying to force the pass wasn't working went back to the running game they got a touchdown just before half time but it doesn't feel like it's natural for them it feels like it's always pass first it feels like even rather than run the ball they'd rather Josh Allen throws a dinky five yarder and you're seeing perhaps too much of that and this is the way that the OC I'm going to say was was leading this team because uh, clearly the offensive coordinator of the Bills got sacked this afternoon. That's relatively breaking news. So look, bringing in a new OC, is that going to change things? Are we going to see a different way that this team is going to be balanced? But it's a balance of this team. And then just the other piece to the picture, again, I said during the Bengals that injuries are a part of every team's season. It felt when I was watching the Bills against the Jags, I believe it was week five of the season, the Bills picked up a lot of injuries in that game and some key ones. Um, watching that um, at the Spurs ground, we saw Matt Milano go down. We saw a defensive tackle go down. Uh, I think there was another injury as well. It felt like the first half of that game at Spurs was just injury after injury and that was already a banged up Bills team. So you're pretty thin in terms of depth chart. Your play calling has been suspect. It's been suspect for two, three years, but it's been suspect this season. And execution hasn't been there at times. I mean, that's the recipe for why this Bills team are 5-5. Look, it's 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 not doom and gloom. They're still 5-5. They don't have a losing record. But I think that this has been a Bills team where people have expected the Super Bowl run. And they're not on course to deliver that. They're not in the playoff picture right now. They're in the hunt. They need to step it up. I think that's all fair. One of the things that we discussed, we always hark back to the fact that if you cannot establish a consistent run game offensively, you're going to be crocked, right? You're going to be hampered because you can't keep teams honest. And and the Bills have yet to establish that run game all season this season. And they didn't really establish it last season. I mean, last season you had Allen who... In, you know, look, in fairness to Allen, he was extending plays in a really, really big way. And they found a lot of success from that. And it feels like that was a byproduct 
of the fact that they had no run game. And rather than correct that issue this season and address the areas in the running room, they've instead lent more into, well, let's create scenarios where we can have Allen extend plays. And it's not happening to the same level of success. But then we've also spoken about how teams can become predictable. And and there's not, the Bills haven't massively moved on from where they were last season, but they're having less success than they were last season. But that is because their game really hasn't changed, developed, evolved in any meaningful way. They're still relying on Allen to extend plays. It's not as successful as it has been last season. There's very little run game. It's putting a lot of pressure on Allen to extend those plays with his legs, but also a lot of pressure to lean on the passing game rather than the running game. I mean, as you said, they've got, what, Cook and Murray? It's hardly the stardom of running backs. And I think that they are struggling as a team that hasn't evolved enough and teams are finding ways to beat them now through a season and a half of very similar football. Look, I I, I don't hate the Latavius Murray-Cook dynamic there. I'm one who always says, don't pay running backs big money. If you're not going to pay big money, you're going to end up with players like that. I'm fine with that. It's just the type of plays that they're trying to run. It's just, it doesn't seem to be creativity in the running game. It seems to be an afterthought. And like I said, it seems to be that they would rather do a two to five yard dink and pass than actually try to create holes with their offensive line to create lanes for a running game. That's an observation. Just taking a step back on this Bills team, just to kind of finish up here. It feels the window is closing slash has closed. You go back last season, last season, season before last, when Josh Allen was still on a rookie contract, you had a quarterback playing at an elite, you know, top five QB level. That was the time you win a Super Bowl. And what they did instead, they gave the big money to players like Von Miller. Now, that made sense when Von Miller, you know, was winning Super Bowls for Denver and that kind of stuff. But uh, the big money that Von Miller got for the Bills, he's not been that Von Miller. He was playing last night and he's playing with basically a knee brace on. You've got players like that sucking up a salary cap. And I feel that there's been errors made from the front office in how they've balanced this team in terms of what they've done with how they've allocated the cash to certain positions. It almost feels like, obviously saying this with a lot of hindsight, and I totally appreciate that, but it feels like had salary cap and player need had been allocated a different way, I think the Bills could have had a different level of success over the last couple of years. It's going to be a lot harder to get to the levels that they even did achieve, which, you know, obviously wasn't a Super Bowl win or even a Super Bowl appearance. It's going to be a lot harder to get that now with the constraints they're going to have on salary cap with Josh Allen being uh, being paid proper money. Yeah, again, all very fair and uh, in some ways a shame. They play exciting football. I like watching the Bills. They've got a great fan base. They have not had a whole lot of postseason success in a while. There's, you know, they're one of those teams that I would not begrudge them some success postseason, but it just seems that amongst all of those kind of AFC teams, the competition's so tight and... um, they're just not keeping up with the pack leaders on that one. Another AFC team then, Joe, that I wanted to talk about because they're a team that we mentioned early on in the season are the Chargers. Now, they're a team that lost the first couple of games to the Dolphins and the Titans. 
And we talked about them and you mentioned that they were a team that you felt had a lot of underlying talent there, but it just wasn't coming to the surface and that you thought that over the season they might win out. Uh, They've got a very middling record at the moment. And in fairness, when you look at the teams that they played against, they seem to beat the teams that they should beat and lose to the teams that you'd expect them to lose against. I suppose what makes it a little bit difficult is some of those games that were perhaps a little bit tighter. I mean, when you talk about them losing to the Broncos, for example, things like that. They're games where you kind of saw the old Chargers reemerge, where they they snatched a loss from the jaws of victory. Do you think it's just a case of the Chargers still suffering from the same problems that they suffered from in seasons past? And if that is the case, what's the solution? Because they've changed head coaches now a number of times to very little either success or failure. It's not really moved the dial one way or the other. So where do the Chargers go from here? If what we're saying is on paper, they're a talented team, but they keep shooting themselves in the foot, what's the solution? Yeah, this feels for me personally like a kind of Formula One shame on you, Formula Two shame on me, Formula Three times shame on me, and I seem to get fooled every season by thinking this is a season when the Chargers actually might be all right, and every season it's just find new ways to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Every season, now I, I still fundamentally believe this is a team with a lot of talent on it. Look at the wide receiver group they've got. You look at players like Donald Parnham Jr., the tight end there. I mean, he's a six foot eight red zone machine. And Herbert has finally kind of twigged onto that that when you're in the end zone, just throw the ball up. And if you throw it high enough, it's only going to be Parnham Jr. who catches the ball. Keenan Allen has been on a tear this season. Filthy stiff arm at the weekend. He's been brilliant. And, um, you know, Eckler does enough at running back, does enough. I'm not the biggest Eckler fan, but he does enough there. It just always seems to be mental errors. Mental errors that you almost don't think you need to coach because why would a team make a mental error like that? And we're constantly seeing these things. So do you think that's a personnel issue or do you think that's a coaching issue? Is it, it, that It's preparation. It's preparation. Yeah, prep. It's It's preparation and there's mental errors being made by these players which just don't seem to be addressed. It feels like it would be a massive shame if this Chargers team, if the way it's set up now, doesn't at least have a crack at playoffs. It would be wasted talent, and I think that it's a second of a coach job. But I felt at the start of the season that they'd make a run. Um, you know, they're, they're what, they're four and five now? Yeah. In terms of their, yeah. yeah, look. They're not out of things. No, but, no, not by any means. I mean... No. Second in the division is Raiders at five and five. So, and then Chiefs are at top seven and two. They're not. Well, out no, look, of it. they're not going to win the division. No, no, Chiefs no. no. no like, like, like we know that, right? But uh, going for a wild card spot, we just said there that the Bills at five and five are out of the playoff race. So at four and five, you're even more out of the playoff race. So they need to go on a bit of a tear and start winning some games very quickly. Who uh, who have they got coming up, Charles? It's it's looking mixed. Here's the thing, right? Next game is Packers. But then you've got the Ravens, tough shout. But then they've got the Patriots. And I say this in the kindest way. They've then got the Broncos. But, you know, Packers, Patriots, Broncos, Raiders, it's largely favorable if they can get it together. And then they finish with Bills, Broncos, Chiefs. So they've got to play Broncos twice. They've got to play 
yeah, Chiefs. Is, Bills, Chiefs, Ravens. Bills, Chiefs, Ravens are potentially tough, but then you've got Packers, Patriots, Broncos, Raiders, Broncos, which... So you feel almost like for the rest of the season, they're probably going to win as many as they lose. Possibly. So they're probably not going to make playoffs. Yeah, you'd say so. Based on that. I'm surprising. I know, it's, yeah, it's yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, look, this is team errors and mistakes here. But I still feel that Justin Herbert gets almost a little bit too much of a free pass. There seems to be kind of an aura around him where, you know, what is Justin Herbert doing to elevate this team? They're in a lot of these close games that they're losing because they're close games. And all right, it might be a mental mistake from a defensive back who does a pass interference penalty that sets the other team up for a game-winning field goal. Okay, we might see that, but why are we in games that are so close? Why isn't Justin Herbert blowing away teams with the offense that he's got there? I'm not explicitly coming out here and, you know, firing shots at Herbert, but it feels almost like he's a player who's kind of untouchable in the criticism he receives and he doesn't receive perhaps enough of a strenuous view of what he's doing week in, week out. How many fourth quarter winning drives have we seen from Justin Herbert? Well, exactly that. That's a really good point. And we've seen drives from that from unlikely quarterbacks, but you're absolutely right. From someone of his caliber, you'd expect that he could string one or two together. And it's set up more for him because there's yeah. this, there's all these close games. Why are we not seeing more fourth quarter winning drives? Like, like I was saying, it's I'm not saying for one second that Herbert doesn't have talent and that he's not you know got the potential there to be a very good quarterback. But he seems to automatically be put kind of at the back end of people's top fives, definitely in top tens. Whereas people happily not include you know your Kirk Cousins in those lists and that kind of thing. Well, Cousins wins more games than Justin Herbert does. And then, Joe, let's talk about another team that I'm, I'm curious about because when I left, we were talking about the Browns and they were cooked. Watson was out. Chubb was out. They had really the biggest loss was Chubb, right? Because their identity as a team was very run heavy. They had Chubb and Hunt. They were kind of tight end geared, you know, it was a Kevin Stefanski offense. And so it felt when Chubb went down, that was a major issue. Watson was by no means anywhere close to the quarterback that he was at the Texans. And we'd written them off, really. Not to say that they definitely will make the playoffs, but we're looking at a team now that are six and three, so winning record. They are joint second in their division with, of all people, the Steelers. And they sit above the Bengals. So... How do we feel about this Browns team? So, just the one thing you said, at the start of the season, when Chubb went down, he didn't have Hunt. Hunt had already this been... This is true, yeah, that's true. He'd been released, yeah. He'd, he'd already been released. So, they were a Chubb team. You say that they had this kind of run identity. The identity for the team was defence. And, and this was a team where, basically, you needed a defence to keep you in close games and just hope that you know they were going to do a pick six or something to close things out. How they've got to, what, 6-3 right now? It, it's always been stealth. You've not really seen the Browns coming. And then here they are competing for the AFC North. This was a defence first team, and the defence has been relatively solid all the way through the season. Deshaun Watson didn't really get going until week 7-8, and you felt almost used to him not really being going. And then suddenly... He picks things up. He starts playing well. And here they are beating the Ravens, who until this week, I would have said were the most underrated team in the NFL and were a very good outside bet to put some money on for Super Bowl. 
as I've said on the pod many times previously, Jackson is a quarterback who just does not get the kudos he should get. Yeah, I, I strongly, strongly believe this, and, and I've said that numerous times. Jackson does not get the kudos that he should get. But look, Browns went out there and beat them. They just strung it all together. This was a team performance. We've seen defense all the way through. We've seen defense play well. Miles Garrett, we had a conversation earlier, Chaz. I said right now there are four almost transcendent defensive players in the league. I believe there's four. You've got Michael Parsons. You've got TJ Watt. You've got Nick Bosa. And you've got Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett of the Browns. These are the four defensive players who can almost have as much influence on a game as a quarterback can individually, that they will turn games, that they will do as force fumbles, those big defensive plays that shift the momentum, shift the way the game is going. Miles Garrett has been playing like that for most of the season. When you've got players like that on your defense, in what is a pretty stacked defense, you look at some of the players that have bought in, drafted over the last few years. I'm a big Denzel Ward fan. You know, players like that. Let's see where they go. Let's see where they go. Let's see if Watson can continue to play at that level or whether it's going to be inconsistency. If he plays at the high level that we saw against the Ravens at the weekend, this is going to be a Browns team that at least gets to the last four of the AFC Super Bowl race. If he doesn't, they might slip out of the playoff race altogether. Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, look, I think you're right about the defensive conversation around the Browns. I would just temper expectation around some of this where you know we talk about Watson coming into a bit of form you mentioned post week four so I think week four they lost heavily to the Ravens 28-3 but then following that they beat a absolutely defensively crocked 49ers 19-17 so it wasn't like Watson was on fire they beat the Colts by a single point and then they beat the Cardinals 27-0. And then I would say this is the first game that I would consider an upset or, you know, great performance from the Browns where they beat the Ravens by two points. And even then, even the game against the Ravens at the weekend, you've got Deshaun Watson, one touchdown, one interception, 213 yards. It's it's an okay game. I I don't think Watson's the one that's that's come into form that's driving this team forward. I'd agree with you in that, I think the defence is a major factor in what has been helping them win these games. And actually, you only need to look at the Ravens this weekend to see what an impact the defence had in that game. The Ravens were running away with it. And that Browns defence managed to stall them and stop them in their place eventually to allow the offence to catch up. I think you've got a game against the Steelers next week, which is going to be paramount because they're on a tied record in the same division. Then they've got Broncos, Rams, Jaguars, Bears, Texans, Jets. A lot of easy games there. Oh, very favourable in, in a lot of instances. So, But then equally, there's some good defences there. And I feel that the offence for the Browns, I feel that Watson woke up, like I said, around about week four, week five. That's when he seemed to be more comfortable with what was expected, what the playbook is. It's an offense that still isn't stacked, though. You take out Nick Chubb, who was a definitely not. Stud. Yeah, name me three Browns wide receivers, Charles. Like I couldn't name you two. They're like they're not exactly household names. No, and that's not to say that household names are the only players who play well. I'm not saying it for a second, but it's not a wide receiver group who you feel is going to go and get separation and run the best routes that you've ever seen. No. This isn't what this team is about, and and it's not the wide receiver group that if you had teams would be worried enough about them to ease off 
the run protection. Yeah, yeah, and look, we're saying wide receiver group here. A lot of his success at Watson had through the year at the weekend was to David Njoku. Yeah, tight end. Yeah, so this is very, very Kevin Stefanski. You feel that if teams have a way of dealing with the, you know, with a 2-2 set that they're going to put out there, two tight ends, two running backs, and have a plan to stop that, you can stop this Browns offense. Mm. Yeah, I think they're a really interesting team. They're a very middling team. They're a team that can deliver, but they're also a team that can fall flat on their face. And it's it's actually been really interesting watching them this season. They've even been in games where they absolutely blow out teams, like where they beat the Bengals 24-3, they beat the Titans 27-3, or they're in games where they're like 38-39 with the Colts. It feels chaotic it feels like you don't know what Browns team you're getting on any given weekend and I agree I think the defense is a really major part of that I don't know how much the offense can deliver to keep them ticking along but then I look at their strength of schedule and I think yeah they could they could sneak a playoff spot I don't think it's beyond them at all yeah yeah but I think that they'll be going to playoffs more for the ease of schedule rather than 100%. fundamentally being a good team. Definitely, definitely. And, and look, I, I'm, I'm happy to say this to you right now, Charles. The Browns are not going to make Super Bowl. They're not going to get to the AFC Championship game. They're not of that kind of level, really. And I think a lot of that is, is, is play calling. I'm not a fan of the way that Stefanski runs teams. It's, it's too throwback. There's not enough creativity to cause teams trouble in this day and age of football. But look, let's see where the train takes them. Yeah, absolutely. So very briefly then, Joe, a look ahead to next week in terms of some of the landmark games. We've got Ravens against Bengals, which... That's a big one. It's going to be so important. That's a big one. Ravens at the top, Bengals at the bottom, Ravens coming off a, a beating to the Browns and... Both teams coming off a loss. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you feel that this is kind of a momentum... For both teams. For, for, yeah. Well, yeah, you know... Bengals win that. They go to 6-4. Yeah. They're right in the hunt, especially as the Steelers are playing the Browns, you said, this weekend. Is that right? Yes, yeah, Steelers playing Browns. So you've got both of the, so you've got yeah. all of the AFC North teams playing against each other. So it's very tightly bunched. You've got, uh, what, a seven v Ravens have won seven? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, the, so there's only two games. Uh, separating first and yeah. last. It's the only entirely winning division in the whole well, league. Yeah. So you have the Bengals win this. They go 6-4. They're a game off the top. Ravens win this. They go 8-2. Bengals slip to 5-5. And suddenly it's looking almost impossible for the Bengals to win the AFC North. And then Bengals are scrambling for a wildcard place. So um, this is either going to blow the division open or it's going to not kill off them, but it's it's going to make it a very, very uphill struggle for the Bengals. Yeah, definitely. So you've got Ravens-Bengals, Browns-Steelers. I mean, I would say both of those matchups are, are absolutely key. And then I suppose the only other one that will be quite interesting from a who's your top dog point of view or who's good in the running, Chiefs-Eagles, I think will be a really good game. Yeah, that, that's a kind of weird one though, Charles, because it, it doesn't feel that important. No. In the sense that both of those teams are, are going to make postseason. Both of those teams are going to make postseason. Yeah. It's almost 
easier if a team can make excuses. And if you lose a close game, lose by a field goal, oh, but we had injuries to this player, that player, that player, it's going to be different when we see you at Super Bowl. It's a big game in the sense of the two teams that are involved, yeah. but it doesn't feel big in terms of the implications for the season. No, and I wonder if that is because these are two teams that are, I mean, you're 8-1 and, and 7-2. and two. They're clear, really. Uh, sure, anything can happen, but like they're, they're safe. So uh, is our focus drawn more to those other teams that are in the battle and on the cusp of it? And actually, are we just looking at the Chiefs and the Eagles and going, yeah, they're going to make playoffs anyway, so it's not that big? The only kind of relevancy with us is if one of the teams almost shows the way to beat the other team. Yes, yeah. If if you see the Chiefs or Eagles do something to the other team that, I don't know, just uh, totally takes Travis Kelsey out of the game, mm-hmm. totally manages to stop the threat from AJ Brown-Smith, there's an argument as well that says don't do this in this game. If you know how, Yeah, 100%. It, if you know how to do that, save it in case you do play I them. I totally agree with that. I think we've seen that in, in history where teams have shown their hand too early and then it's come to playoffs and they can't repeat yeah. it because the other team has countered by that point. So, so chances are we won't see that. But if you did see something like that... What if Andy Reid figured out how to stop the brotherly shove? Uh, <laughs> you know, the... They probably shoves. It's 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 just got boring now. From a sense that just every team is doing it. You're they, like they are going to do it. I, I don't know how you change the rules to stop it. Can I just say the brotherly shove feels to me a bit like the mention of Taylor Swift. I am bored of hearing about it week in week out. It's kind of been one of the silver linings of not doing the podcast for the last <laughs> four weeks, five weeks. Is 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 us not having to whinge about how much we've seen Taylor Swift? <laughs> Amen. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end it, Joe. Fingers crossed we can get the podcast out at a reasonable time next week as well. We're hoping to return back to a normal schedule. We'll have to see how things go in terms of release dates um, and whatnot, whether it creeps into Thursday or not. But we're going to continue to aim to get things out on a Wednesday, Thursday at the latest. And yeah, enjoy the second half of the season. We're getting to the pointy end now. Excellent. Great to have you back, Charles.